0: afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Never before have I had both guests for the show in the studio at the same time. I have quality and quantity here with me today. It's my called
1: guest... ganging up on
0: <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> That's exactly right. No, just the opposite. I'm, we're ganging up on you. No, no. No, yes, we are. Dr. Mark mm-hmm. Muska is in studio, as is Jeff Verdorn. That's my whole show for the two hours. We're doing this one at a time, but I invited Jeff to come early and he said, sure, why not? He'd love to. So we're going to gang up on Mark a little bit, but I want you to know that we're open for your questions. You can call and ask, or you can text and ask, and I'll ask on your behalf. But uh, we've got uh, uh, 877-933-2484 to take your call or your text. We'd love to hear from you, and I really mean it. Okay, uh, Mark, let's start with, uh, I've got a question for you. Would you explain the difference between a temptation and a test? Yeah, uh, that's a, that's really quite a
1: good question. Thanks. And uh, one of the uh, passages that I think hits both of these and talks about them very carefully is in James chapter 1. James is such a good, practical uh, book. It's really talking about what it means to live by faith, not just to talk by faith, but to live by mm-hmm. faith. And, uh, and I've been just going to read this. James 1, starting in verse 12 where he says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And what's really tricky about that is in the original language that was written in, the word test and tempt come from the same word. And so you have to translate it in light of the context. And so what James is saying is these are very close to each other, but uh, God does not tempt anybody. Uh, That comes from the evil one and from the world. But I like that because I think it teaches good theology in there to say that a particular situation that you are in can be seen both as a test and a temptation at the same time. So that, you know, you come home and you have... uh, There's, uh, or let's say you're walking down the street and there, you see someone drop a twenty dollar bill on the street and it's sitting there looking and they keep walking. Well, that you could say is a test from God, and tests are indicated to prove your metal that you're, you're not uh, someone who's going to take something that's not yours, and so. You run up and give it to the man. You pass the test, mm-hmm. if that's the case. But that same situation is tempting, and the temptation is trying to draw you into sin, into evil, and the wrong. So, is that that path? There, both paths are there: the the path of doing the right thing and passing the test, or doing the wrong thing and uh, succumbing to the temptation, and so. Uh, I I like that, that James kind of keeps these two knotted together like that. Uh, The other thing I think is important to mention, too, is uh, some people take the Lord's prayer and they completely misunderstand it, where at the end of it, it says, lead us not into temptation, Lord. And so we start praying that we won't be tempted. I'm sorry, pal, you you might as well ask for three noses. You know, you are going to get tempted. (laughs) The issue and temptation is not sin, that if you're being tempted by something, uh, there's no reason to feel guilty for that. Well, welcome to the human race. Uh, Jesus himself was tempted. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. It shows that you're a human being and that you're an enemy if if you belong to God. But it's what you do with that temptation that matters. Do you succumb to it or do you resist it? So a big difference between temptation and succumbing to sin.
0: I love that answer. Thank you, Mark. Um, I see this in a couple of places in Scripture where you'll be reading a chapter, like in Mark 16, and you'll come to this mm-hmm. place after verse 8, where it says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. Yep. What does that mean? That means that the
1: the what's called the transmission of the Scriptures through the centuries is a very interesting study, because... The very latest scriptures, if you believe in an early Bible, that it was the New Testament was written in the first century, well, we're in the 21st century. So you're coming up on two millennia here, Mm 2,000 years between the original writings of scripture, Uh, theologians like to call those the, um, the, oh, the word's uh, escaping me right now, but the originals. And then from there, there was a task that the church had to copy those originals from uh, then to now. And so we have copies of these originals, uh, the autographs is what they're called, the the, the originals. And uh, these originals, I mean, copying them in the original languages of Scripture. We're not talking about translation at all right now. We're talking about the Hebrew text of the Old Testament and the Greek text of the New Testament, they have been copied time after time after time after time through the centuries. It's just like our Bibles. They wear out after a while. You got to go get another one Mm -hmm. because your binding breaks. Well, think of this all through the centuries of these copies of Scripture. uh, They needed to be copied by rabbis and scribes in the Old Testament uh, period and then by monks and priests in the New Testament through centuries of of really... uh, uh, Intense uh, copying a uh, rigor there to get it right, but in those copies, there were what 's called variant texts that started to show up, so that a copy of the new testament i 'm going to use the Gospel of John because this one 's more famous than the mark one okay. in John chapter eight, the story of the woman caught in adultery, remember that one mm-hmm. that has a variant text to it where there are manuscripts that date back way back in, of john 's gospel to the 2nd and 3rd century. Think of that. You know, I mean, 1,800 years old, and we actually have these. We call them extant copies of the Scripture. They're not theoretical. They're in a museum someplace or they're in somebody's library. And they date back, well, the earliest copies of John in the Greek New Testament don't have that story in there Mm. at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 of John. And then when you get later on into the Middle Ages, there's many, 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 many more copies of John's gospel that were made in Greek, and those, many of them contain the story of the woman caught in adultery. And so you have a question in front of you. And this is a whole field of study in New Testament studies. It's called introductory studies, most misleading title in the world, because (laughs) it's one of the most difficult and painstaking studies Mm -hmm. around. But where the question they ask then is, Okay, in light of the copies we have, some from early on, some from Middle Ages, some from later into the uh, Reformation period, what did the autograph say? Are we able to trace that back then to what the autograph said and that is a very important science of bible study because if we can't come up with good confidence about what the original said then we're really hung if we're going to try to interpret and imply the scriptures you know you got to you've got to have confidence in what you've got there so what do uh, we say to our catholic friends who say our
0: bible's got Several more books than yours.
1: Yeah, that's another uh, uh, issue of the canon of the scriptures. Uh, You spell canon with only one N in the middle, the double N goes boom, kills people. Mm -hmm. But the, the canon of scripture, these are the books that have been received by the church and recognized as inspired by God and authoritative. And there's been an argument going on about that for 2,000 years, that the canon of the old scripture really didn't come into place and be recognized until after Jesus was gone back to heaven in the 100s and 200s A.D., not B.C., that it took a long time for the Jewish rabbis and uh, scholars to be able to hammer out what books they recognized as being inspired by God and authoritative. Well, then... Uh, The early church jumped onto that and uh, followed the lead of some of these uh, uh, studies, but then they added on apocryphal books to, uh, especially during the time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, sometimes people call that the intertestamental period, scholars call it the Second Temple period. But there are additional writings that some Jews and some early church fathers wanted to bring into the canon of Scripture. But then Martin Luther really lit it up in the 1500s when he rejected those apocryphal books and said, no, the the Bible only has 66 books in it. The Roman Catholic Church responded to that by affirming that these extra books belonged in the Bible. So if you look at a Catholic Bible, it will have several more books in it than the so-called Protestant Bible, the non-Catholic Bible. But this, again, I think it's just an intriguing study of history here and trying to come to grips with the scriptures that we have and uh, do we have confidence in them. And uh, the, the most important thing to remember in this whole thing, though, Bill, is that those variant texts, those questions about canon, they are small potatoes. There are very few passages in Scripture that are questionable because of some variant reading in these copies of Scripture that usually it's like one word that's in one copy and missing in another copy, Mm -hmm. or it's a word that's uh, last two letters are different in this copy than in that copy. I mean, really minute Differences in the biblical text, and so on really important teachings of the scripture there 's not a single problem with variant texts calling into question whether we can really believe what the Bible teaches about something like salvation or the Holy Spirit or something like that, but
0: some of these additional books that almost made the cut right that mm-hmm. are still in the Catholic Bible are they good to read them
1: yeah my response to that because i affirm the the non catholic bible the 66 books and i mm-hmm. respect those who affirm these others i think they're uh they're interesting for study because they are old mm-hmm. and they do have information about uh, the uh times of judaism and christianity uh, but i don't go as far as to see them a- authoritative for life okay when we talk about the scriptures we're saying If we understand what this says and we claim to be a follower of Christ, we're bound to follow then what the scriptures teach. They're authoritative. And so that's a higher level of respect for these 66 books. The others, very interesting. We can learn a lot about those ancient times, but they aren't elevated to that authoritative level of scripture. Mm -hmm. Do
0: historians consider those books like Maccabees accurate in their history?
1: Uh, yes and no. That that's uh, And not just with those that are in the Catholic Bible, That but there's dozens of other apocryphal books that came out of the New Testament period. So for example, there's a gospel according to Peter. There's a gospel according to Judas. And those get a little funny. When you start reading those, they say some stuff that's pretty out there. And you can see why the church didn't recognize them as inspired by God and authoritative. Uh, I just tell people, if you want to understand why, just read some of these. You can look them up on the Internet now today with the things we have. So uh, it just doesn't square up with the teaching of the rest of Scripture. Sometimes it's just really frivolous stuff where the New Testament has gravity. It's sober. It is. it. It's heavy uh to uh, for us. So uh the those apocryphal books just don't measure up
0: mm-hmm. to that. If you find yourself saying to yourself, I don't take enough surveys in life. I wish I could take more. Well, oh I got an I've got an answer for that. Go see think, the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do my. I'm trying to do my picture mark. Oh, for my survey no, 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 that's okay. Your name's Bill, on no. it. You're, and so is Jeff. So listen, listen to Bill. All right. To Bill. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to let uh, Rebecca talk about
1: it. <laughs> I was going to say Bill's voice is authoritative right now, so we should listen to it. <laughs> uh,
0: we always we always listen to Rebecca.
2: <laughs> but there is there is a cool survey. It's up for I think today, maybe the last day, or maybe it's tomorrow. But for a limited time
1: only, uh, that we're we're. Uh, giving out this opportunity for the official listener survey. And so we get to tell us what you think about the show, what you think about Bill, and also several of our frequent guests, including the illustrious Dr. Mark Muska and the estimable Jeff Verdorn.
0: They're both both on the list, so you can see. And they're both on the show today. Would like more of them, would like less of them.
1: Mm-hmm. More of them always, I'm sure, is the No, it's too, always more of them. You no. can text in if you're interested in that. It, com- it doesn't take very long.
0: No, I completely stack the deck with guests. <laughs> that could be kind That's of threatening, true. you know. I get it. Yeah. I get it. So let's sharpen up here. All right, let's take a little break. We'll be right back with Ask the Professor. Let me know what your questions are. You can call and talk to us live if you like. We'd love to. Do, we'd love for that to happen. Or if you just would like to text because you're more comfortable doing that, 877-933-2484. I'll give it again, 877 933 2484 be right back The professor, and of course the professor is Dr. Mark Muska, right here from the University of Northwestern. If you come to uh, school here, you will have him as a teacher if you sign up for one of his Bible classes, and it will change your life. We are firing it up next Wednesday. Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, everybody's excited to get back yeah. at it after all this I still this want to time. sit in one of your classes. Well, what's stopping you? Nothing. Nothing. Except this attitude you're giving me right now.
1: No, I'm just saying, <laughs> a lot of talk, no act. All right, all right, I will, I will. So,
0: all right, so I, I want to get uh, questions coming in from you uh, faithful listeners. 877-933-2484, you can call or text, that'd be great. All right, Mark, uh, let's see. I'm in Genesis chapter 3, mm-hmm. and the, um, the Lord uh, God said to the woman, "What is it? what is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Yeah. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I'm good to that point. Mm -hmm. Now, verse 15 shows up, and it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Yeah. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's the verse I need some help on.
1: Like what? What uh, What specifically? is Well, some...
0: how is he putting enmity between you and the woman? Well, I think it's
1: representative of between these forces of darkness and the human race, because she is the mother of the human race here. And so... Between her descendants and Ah, those, his descendants, you know, you can get into all kinds of crazy things about Satan and demons being able to procreate. That comes back in Genesis 6. People have questions about that. But I think it's more metaphorical of just those who are entrapped by Mm -hmm. Satan and his demons and are his children, so to speak.
0: And so. Okay. That's really helpful.
1: Yeah. They're going to, there's going to be,
0: there's going to be trouble. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. doing it so easily because I get it now.
1: Well, this is, this is a great passage here because it's almost like God lines them all up, you know, and he's got uh, Adam there, and then he's got Eve there, and then the serpent over there. And he starts with Adam, you know, what have you done? And Adam goes, well, the woman. And then he goes to the woman, well, what have you done? Well, the serpent. It sounds like a dad, you know, interrogating three of his kids, and they just pass the buck down the line mm-hmm. that this is one of the first illustrations of uh, rationalizing and excusing sin well I, you know it wasn't me it was him that made me do this and so uh,
0: god uh, doesn't doesn't put up with it so back from a previous question uh terry said um regarding the canon of the canon of the bible yeah um okay the inspired word of god incredibly important what were the requirements the early church used to determine What was the real deal?
1: Yeah, there were three uh, uh, things uh, for the New Testament, especially. The first one was called, uh, was it apostolic? And what we mean by that is, was it either written by an apostle, the book that you're considering, or under the supervision of an apostle? Was there an apostle there to guide it? And uh, this this goes back to the apostolic authority that Jesus conferred on these 12 when uh, he chose them, that they were... Uh, they were what would you say they were commissioned with this authority to teach the gospel, so that in the New Testament, when an apostle taught it was the truth. Uh, Paul illustrates this better than anybody when he writes his letters he doesn 't try to build a consensus or get the vote to go his way, or something like that it 's like you know me apostle, you Christian, me say you do because he had <laughs> he had that uh, authority. And so the book had to have that apostolic authority uh, vested in it some way, either written by an apostle or under the uh, influence or supervision of an apostle. A second thing was consistency of teaching with the rest of the books in the canon of the New Testament. This caused a couple books to be questioned and still questioned for a while. Uh, Martin Luther had a real problem with the book of James because of its teaching about uh, justification by works, where he took on the entire church to try to establish justification by faith alone. And so he, he was he was not really happy about the book of James. So there have been questions about that that have come through. And then the third one was the, uh, it's called Catholicity, was it received by the church? Did the church recognize it for what it is? And by Catholicity, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church with a capital C. Catholic means universal. And so was it universally recognized? And Bill, this is one of the coolest stories. If any of you get into history of this kind of stuff, that it didn't take long. Into the first century and second century, churches from all over that region were recognizing these 27 books of the New Testament as being inspired by god and authoritative and they weren't talking with one another there was no handheld that they could just go and you know talk to their pal over in alexandria and egypt mm-hmm. or something like that they were doing this grassroots kind of thing so then they were able to see quite clearly the books that were being recognized by the church so mm-hmm. ap- a- Apostle, apostolic authority internal consistency of teaching and received by the church
0: Isn't that last one really the true story of the canon, that the church really developed the canon? It wasn't that it was officially proclaimed at some point in time. Right. And you have to be real
1: careful about your language here because some people claim that the uh, Council at Nicaea, for example, decided what the canon was. And I reject that language. They didn't decide anything. They affirmed what God decided. They recognized it. And so they were able to bring congeal the thing into one, but uh, they did not determine the canon of Scripture, God did that. They bore witness to the
0: Scriptures. Really interesting, Mark. So if I think about God's holiness, God's uh, if there's a coin and if wrath is on one side of a coin, what would be on the other? I don't know. I okay.
1: mean, you, you can say any one of His attributes. There's there's just one coin. There's just one God. We use all those terms to I try to describe yeah.
0: Him. But I'm trying to think: Is He is God angry with the wicked every day? Yes. Okay.
1: He, he, uh, his wrath is incited okay. by sin and wickedness. Mm-hmm. What you might be getting at, and I just didn't fall for it, was okay. the, the idea <laughs> of God's uh, God's wrath on the one hand, but the other side of the coin is his mercy or his compassion. And so uh, we use both of those terms to describe this singular God and who he is. And for us, it looks like those two are incompatible. How can he be both just or holy and merciful or compassionate at the same time. And the real simple answer to that is just by being himself because that is who he is and we won't be able to untangle that but that is who he is. Sometimes people start thinking that God is the sum total of these attributes. You know, if we we can think of 25, 30 attributes of God. He's merciful. He's omnipotent. He's this. He's that. Mm-hmm. And we think God's the sum total of those things. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. God is a singular unity of character and person. And we use all those ideas and terms to de- try to accurately describe Him.
0: Hmm. Really good. All right, Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, and I'm also joined in the studio with Jeffrey Dorn, my guest in the next hour. So I've got uh, all of today's show right with me right now, which I love. So. If you uh, have a question for Mark, let us know what it is, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. You can also call. We've got, uh, we'll put you on the show today. You can talk to Mark directly. That'd be great. Again, 877-933-FAITH. Be right back. with Ask the Professor, Dr. Mark Muska, is that very person. Let me know what your questions are for him. I would love to hear from you. You can call, you can text, you can email me, uh, bill at myfaithradio.com. You can uh, text at 877-933-2484 or you can call the same number, 877-933-2484. Kevin's on the line from Roseville and we're awfully glad you called, Kevin. We can't wait to hear your question for Mark. Hi, Kevin.
2: Yeah, hi there, uh, say i wanted to ask uh if i could ask a question on how to study the bible yeah and uh to narrow it down a little bit i'm i'm not necessarily uh, i'm asking because i'm just learning and uh um i'm not really asking how to study it like academically because that just takes a lot of time and a lot of work and uh but I'm I'm wondering as far as interpretation, when I when I read something, I want to find out what God is telling me to do. That's kind of what I'm I'm looking for. And uh, I've just recently read through the Bible from the front to the back. Oh, great! Three, three times. Wow! And I've written down a lot of notes and stuff, and that's great. But I decided to start with the Book of Mark to really narrow down and start studying. And I've I've read a a few books on hermeneutics. So I, I understand that the more observations I can make, the better understanding I'll get. But when I go to, like, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2, um, I can't really find anything that the Lord is telling me there. Yeah. So I'm doing something wrong, and I was just wondering if, if you could tell me, or if you could refer to me a book or something that would be helpful for
0: you know people like me. Thanks Kevin that's a real interesting genuine question. Yeah,
1: I I'd, I I'd, I I'd, I'd like to uh, jump on the one part you said there that it just doesn't seem like the Lord is teaching anything out of this in Mark 1 and Mark 2. And uh, I think you have to be in one sense, Kevin, you have to get used to that, that not necessarily all scripture is going to uh, come off the page and really impress you with something. And that's why you just keep reading. Uh, there's some passages that just knock you right off your feet, uh, that it's it hits your situation in life and so forth. But others don't. And so uh, I love that question you asked yourself right at the beginning, where you you open your Bible and you say, Lord, what do you have to teach me today <laughs> right. from this passage? You know, I mean, look out. Uh, you you uh, may not ever recover from that, Kevin. You know, God answers that prayer. And so... I think maybe a little patience with yourself. And uh, I like the idea of getting into some books, uh, uh, commentaries on the Book of Mark. If something doesn't uh, hit you, I, I'm cautious about commentaries because commentaries are real good at uh, identifying questions in the text of Scripture. But I don't always agree with the answers that the commentator comes up with. But at least they, a good commentary can show you the interesting things maybe to dig a little deeper into. So, uh, But uh, I would just say... Keep keep on i can't imagine that you're the same person now that you were when you started that three times through the bible that just uh, i like to tease my students where when you get into the scripture like that it's like the holy spirit just cracks his knuckles and uh, <laughs> flexes a little bit and he says okay you're giving me something to work Game with here on. let's let's do some building yeah, you I know love so love it uh, keep it on keep doing it
0: love it all right Mark, well, i appreciate that you bet huh? thank you kevin all right, Mark. Here's another question: What is the relevance of Philemon to my Christian faith? It seems to be more of a personal letter.
1: Yeah, it is a personal letter that uh, Paul uh, wrote this uh, to uh, one of the members of the church in uh, Colossians, and so it's only one little, one little uh, chapter. If your pages of your Bible are stuck together, you're gonna you're gonna miss it. It's right after the book of Titus. Uh, But you can learn plenty from the book of Philemon because the issues that Paul raises there about a very personal issue about a servant of Philemon's that had abandoned him and ended up in Rome and Paul led him to Christ. And now Paul is sending him back to Philemon, with good wishes for him, that uh, he'll receive him and recognize that they're no longer slave and master. Their primary relationship now is as brothers in Christ and uh, talk about something relevant for today's church to be able to get past all these labels and categories we put on people as far as uh, sex, ethnicity, race, intelligence, job, uh, age, all this. Uh, I, I like to take from that that, uh, boy, you know, that the the first and most important thing is we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of all those things that m- make us different from one another. So uh, it's personal to Philemon. He does the same thing with Timothy. He writes personal letters to this young man that he left at Ephesus to oversee the church there. And uh, yet there's terrific applicational material for you. Uh, One of the questions that's really good to ask is a generalizing question from the scriptures where you read a teaching in the scripture and say to yourself, okay, how does this teaching transcend the centuries? How does this impact my life today? How would it have impacted Martin Luther in the 1500s or Francis of Assisi earlier than that? To look for that principle coming out of the text that's timeless, that you can bring to bear in your life and what you're facing today. So in my estimation, Philemon is making this case for what it is that unites us and identifies us as the church, as having precedence over every other kind of descriptor we may think about ourselves
0: hmm. Jeff you want a piece of him well and there's at least one exhortation right in verse six it says hmm? I pray that you are active and sharing your face so that you will know every good thing you have in Christ Jesus that's there's kind of something personal oh, about sharing our face isn't
1: there yeah and you could think about that verse for a while couldn't you, you? Uh, that I like that kind of stuff so those, those verses, uh, they, they still speak today. Uh, like we talked
0: about earlier, the Holy Spirit gets in the act and look out. Yeah, right. All right. This verse um, in, I think it's Romans 3, where it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is yeah. no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Mm-hmm.
1: This just build, for
0: builds you up, doesn't oh, it? It just, just, just makes so you uploaded. feel good about <laughs> yeah. yourself, doesn't it? Really it? does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got a lot on the ball right now, Mark. Uh, yeah. How are we supposed to put this in context? Well, you're first of all, uh, Paul
1: here, I like it in our Bibles. A lot of them will show that when Paul is quoting Old Testament Scripture, they put it in different type font. And this is coming from a lot of different passages in the Scripture here. Mm-hmm. And Paul, you have to step back from this. This is where context is so important when you study the Scripture because Paul is making a case from chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. He is laying out the gospel message here in much more detail than anywhere else in the Bible. That's why so many people think Romans is the backbone of the New Testament because it's so thorough. And in chapters 1 through 3, he is establishing complete, total human sin and guilt that we have nothing to offer God if we want to start doing merit badge and brownie point kind of things. Because after all those verses, Bill, if you look at what he says... That uh, I love verse 19 of Romans 3. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. It's like people want to come to God and say, oh, yeah, well, I helped that little old lady across the street. Or I gave that money, I threw it in the, pa- uh, the plate in church or something like that. And if I understand this right, it's like God is just saying to him, shh, shut up. Mm -hmm. You don't have anything to offer me. There are good acts in and of themselves, but anything that will somehow earn us brownie points with God, give it up. And so Paul is nailing the nails into the coffin here about any kind of self-righteousness. And that is so important to the gospel because then in the next three chapters, he establishes justification by faith that Jesus is really good news because if we want to be right with God on our own we're hung. Mm-hmm. We don't have a chance. But look at the substitute over there that is willing to come in and take our place. that that's the, That is the is the good news of the gospel. But for the good news to be good, the bad news has to be really bad. If people are not convinced of their own complete sin and bondage and death penalty upon them, they're really not going to be interested in Jesus, or they'll be interested in him for the wrong reasons. That I'm interested in Jesus because he is able to provide a forgiveness of sins that I could never earn for myself. And so he is very attractive because I know what kind of a sinner I am. Listen to the way Paul talks, you know, about being a wretched man in that in his own life, and so that's that's what makes this uh, so special. If I can just throw a little word in, people might not like what I'm going to say right now, but this it makes it especially a challenge for people who are raised in the church and have never been hellraisers, where they have been saying yes to Jesus all their lives, and they don't really have a lot of that BC life of drinking and drugs and womenizing mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and so they really don't have an appreciation sometimes for the depth of their sinfulness and so then they're kind of lukewarm toward Jesus if they're not careful and so that's a very great warning to uh, families to be able to teach that and not to hammer them you filthy sinner junior you know something like that but to get that across about you may not have done all those things but those all are in your heart and you're capable of them it's just a matter of if you have been put in a family where that hasn't been a part of your life. So we've got to be real careful about that, I think.
0: I agree. So in Proverbs 19, verse 3, it says, um, I think this is a, a a New Living Version, A man's own foolish acts destroy his life, but his heart is angry with the Lord. Uh, I think when hmm. I read that, I, I realize that there's so many people that will not embrace that, they'll say, well, you know, Satan uh, is responsible for all the dumb choices I've made, and the mistakes I've made. What about his a man's own foolish acts? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, you know,
0: Satan and his dark powers are terrible adver-
1: adversaries to us. But, you know, if they were wiped off the earth today, we'd still have plenty of trouble just ourselves, oh, yeah. that we get ourselves into all kinds of issues and trouble uh, I like going back to Proverbs 3, and uh, boy, oh boy, everybody likes to quote verses 5 and 6, but you got to read verse 7. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Uh, everybody smiles and nods at that. We like that when we memorize that. Read verse 7. He says, uh, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's a lot of conceit and, and arrogance out there. We think we've got it figured out. Oh, boy, are we in trouble if so, we get into that place. So David said we're all sinful from birth. Yeah. Well, he said even before he was born, he was conceived in iniquity. So it's a, it's a cancer. It's a stain on the human soul that we cannot do anything about, and it'll kill us. So thank God for the substitute, the Savior that comes in and saves us from that.
0: Amen. I think we'll take a little break. And when we come back, a little special song I think Mark brought to our attention, which will be kind of fun. And if you have questions, you can call or you can uh, send me a text, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. 2484 In 90 seconds, we'll have a little fun. All right. uh, here's a little song that Mark brought in, brought to our attention. We all got a smile out of it, and we thought we'd share the smile. Calling all
2: cars. Calling all cars. Man trying to enter an office building on 4th and Main with no mask. Repeat, no
1: mask. I woke into my job late last week when my co-workers all began to freak. They started cursing and began to shout and said quite rudely as the boss threw me out. You need a mask. I need a COVID, mask. a COVID mask, it seemed a lot to us, to wear a mask, to do a simple task, put on a mask, I need a COVID mask, made it mandatory almost every place, that we can't be seen unless we hide our face. I can't even leave my humble abode without something covering
0: my mouth Oh, that's the COVID mask song. Yeah. I love it.
1: Hey, you got to put a disclaimer on that. We are not trying to rebel against what's going not, on or anything. We but are not. If we can find a little humor, though, it yeah. helps to relieve some of that.
0: I've got two masks symptoms. on right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, interesting, during the break, we were talking about being a new creation in Christ. And then yep. does the old nature still stick around? Is that available for... Um, or uh, corruption or is that all gone?
1: Yeah, I mean that this is this is controversial. You're not going to have every student of the Bible agree on this thing right down the line, but it appears as though we still have the capability of succumbing to temptation and sin because of this uh, this past, this what we what we were. And so uh, Paul is very explicit in, in Romans 6 uh, starting in verse 12 where he talks about uh, present. it's a sacrificial term, present or offer. Your the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. Do not present the members of your body to uh, to uh, un, uh, sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And so that means there's got to be a possibility of both going on there. So there is going to be this battle that takes place. Uh, he follows up a little bit on it when he's talking about the Holy Spirit in Galatians five where he talks about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And before he gets into that, he says that the flesh flesh and the Spirit wage war against one another so that you may not do the things that you please. And so uh, that's talking about a battle that takes place. I don't think we even need Paul to tell us that. If we're just honest with ourselves, we bear witness to that. I do uh, every day. There's a struggle. There is always going to be temptation there and things that will lure me. And I have to be able to say no to that. And I win some of those, and I got some losses in the loss column too. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be realistic about it.
0: And when people... Um Say, "Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace." What would be a good response to that?
1: Uh, I like what Jeff said. Just, just change the verse, uh, the tense of the tense of the verb there, and, and I was uh, a sinner, and now I'm saved by grace, and so now we live as new men and women in Christ, and that He has joined Himself to us legally, just like a marriage, and we have the righteousness of Christ with us, so uh, we. Uh, I love the end of Romans chapter 8 there. We are able to overcome any obstacle because of Christ. No excuses before God. Oh, I just couldn't help myself. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just had to do that. Uh-uh. Was, that was then. This is now. Uh, we'll never live perfect on this side of, of the of uh, eternal life, but that doesn't mean that we have to give in to these things. We,
0: yeah. We, shouldn't Christians never say that? Say, well, I'm not perfect. Well now, you're stating the obvious. I mean you I know, just talk I mean, to your your wife and you know, she'll tell you that right away. But you when know? you say so, that, doesn't it seem like a silly thing to say, especially can, coming in from Christians?
1: Yeah. And it can it can be self justifying to say, well, you just gotta put up with my weaknesses then and my right,
0: sin. Right. And and the
1: response should be, well, where's that written in the Bible? So so what? Uh, sometimes it can be false humility where people are just trying to you know, sound like they're so humble and they're very proud about it. And so you, you got to be careful about it. I, you know, I don't like to try to get inside people's heads. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm interested in condemning them, but uh, I know the way I work and that's mm-hmm. always possible.
0: Yeah. Another question, Mark, could you ex- uh, please explain where our Catholic friends get the idea that Peter started a church? I find nothing biblical to support this since Matthew ten six. 6, Jesus tells them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and preach. Mm-hmm. Can you explain this or am I all wrong? Now, yeah. I'd also like to say that a listener chimed in with a really lovely uh, comment for Mark, if I can find it here real quick. Um, and they remained anonymous, but they said, we want to thank uh, Dr. Muska for his respect for different denominations within the Christian faith. My husband and I are Catholic and both love and appreciate how he talks about that. Way to go,
1: Mark. Yeah. Uh, I mean there's so many things that we're, uh, we're tearing each other apart. I'm sorry, this is my this is my phone doing this. Okay, I good. I've got my decrypt voice <laughs> on there. Right. I, I forgot to silence it. Right. So but uh anyway, uh there's so many things that we can haggle over and and that and i of course i've got some differences with different sects and traditions within christianity but uh i think that the emphasis should be to try to find the common things and things we can unite on uh rather than uh, constantly picking at at one another so it's it's not easy. There are some things that are non-negotiables that you just have to say. You know, I respect you, but I do not agree with what you're saying about this particular teaching or that. But uh, we just, uh, I'm I'm kind of sick about that. The the way we uh, we feel, I think it's a almost a sense of inadequacy sometimes in us that we're we're threatened by others. We're not confident in ourselves to say, hey, we belong to Jesus, and we may never un, untangle this theological, not this side of, of uh, eternity, but we can still live with each other, hopefully.
0: All right. In First Thessalonians 2.8, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Boy, isn't that a thing we should be doing more of today? Yeah, In this world.
1: And you know, it brings out a, a side of, of uh, Paul that a lot of people don't recognize. They think of him as this Pharisee, this brainiac, theologian par excellence. He had a tender heart toward the people that he worked with. He talks about like nursing mothers, we cared for you Mm -hmm. and we, you know, wept tears with you and all this. When he leaves the Ephesian church in Acts 20, they weep with him at the shore uh, before he gets on the ship because he told them that they wouldn't see him again, Mm -hmm. Uh, that Paul had a beating heart for people that uh, it's one of my favorite uh, quotes of the decade that came from Daryl dehouse, a pastor down in Phoenix Arizona where he said the whole purpose of teaching of theology is to love people with it and that is I just love that statement I did too. because we have to we have to get to that beating heart maybe it bothers me too bill cuz that doesn't come to me naturally i got to work at that okay and so it's it's, it's a honesty. it's a particular challenge yeah. to to really Care for
0: people. Yeah. All right, Mark. When Christians die, do we remain asleep until the glorious return of our Savior, or, or do we go to heaven to be with Him immediately upon our death? It seems like the Bible teaches both.
1: Well, th- both of those are possible
0: that we go to
1: heaven to be with Jesus, but we're conked out, we're, we're asleep. And uh, this this idea, theologically, some people talk, call it soul sleep, where the person who is, that dies in Christ, this isn't someone who's unsaved, but the person who dies in Christ, uh, that they are uh, unconscious until the time when Jesus returns and the trumpet sounds and the angel shouts and the dead will rise. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this has a couple of different um, uh, uh, sources to it. Uh, One of them is Jesus himself, where there's a euphemism that appears to be used in the scriptures about the death of a follower of Christ, someone who has put their faith in the gospel, that they don't say that they die because Jesus says that you believe in me, you will never die. It's like you're never going to be separated permanently from God. Uh, Death can be thought of in two or three different ways in the scriptures. So they fall asleep in the sense that their body ceases and decays, but they're still alive and they're with Christ. And so some people have taken that, in my opinion, they've taken it too literally and said, well, that means we really are conked out in heaven uh, in front of Jesus. I'm I'm looking at this in uh, John chapter 11. Jesus uses this with Lazarus, where Lazarus is sick and uh Jesus is uh, going to go to him that uh but then it says here um let's see here I can't find it now but uh Jesus says that Lazarus has fallen asleep it's in John 11:11 11, 11, and uh the disciples misunderstand it. well if he's fallen asleep you know he'll he'll recover and then Jesus has to tell them he's died so it appears to be a euphemism for the death of a follower of Christ Uh, Paul says the same thing in the rapture patch, that those who fell asleep will rise first, Mm -hmm. and then we who are alive will be together with them in the clouds. So I I think it's an unnecessary literalization of this. The main reason for it is the Apostle Paul and his temperament, because in Philippians 1— Paul is talking to the Philippians about how much he loves them and loves to minister them, and he confides in them to say, I'm torn in two different directions. I would much rather die and go to be with Christ, for that is very much better But for your sakes, I'm willing to live on and to continue to minister. And to me, it almost seems impossible to think that Paul would rather die and go take a little siesta there with Jesus in heaven than to continue ministering. He is, he wants to be face to face with his Savior. He wants to see him, so... It doesn't always, make sense. Yeah,
0: always goes too quick. This hour, Mark. Thank you. We're are we done. done. Yeah, well, you believe it. Yeah, and thank us. you for 35 years of service here at the University of Northwestern. How about
1: that, that's a long time.
0: That's a big it chunk of time. That's a big chunk of career. old. Yeah, but you know what? You've been amazing, and the students uh, love you, and I love you, and I just think it's great that you um, are still here. Thank well, you. we've sure got
1: a be. nice friendship that's built the last we few sure years We sure have, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I yeah. Lie, just used to laugh at you. you I know, know? now we, you laugh with me. <laughs> yeah, we have fun so. together. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I'm realizing <laughs> I don't give Bill enough hard time, I'm <laughs> honest, that's <laughs> what I'm realizing. We have other great questions that have come in, and we're out of time, so. I'll save them. Yeah, yeah good. All yeah, right. Do it again. Uh, John from Sullen Springs, Wisconsin, I, d- I saw your question. It's wonderful. I just wish we could get to it, but we'll get to it next time. That wraps up our hour. And when we come back, uh, Jeff is in the studio. He's my guest for hour two. Can hardly wait. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.